Well, I always love hearing that. Welcome to the Environmental Justice Report with me, Janine Moloff, your host. Well, there's been so much news out there, it's kind of hard to know what to pick. But this week, as the title goes, this week is all about water, water, and more water. And the title is Unsafe Water in the United States and Water Privatization. So it starts, believe it or not, with Aaron Brockovich, who I've never met but would love to. I'd, frankly, I'd love to collaborate with something on her. But Aaron Brockovich exposed unsafe water in parts of Louisiana, which rivaled the crisis in Flint, Michigan. And she was contacted by people in these towns, towns such as specifically Sulphur, Louisiana, and Shreveport. Um, they both have orange water. I'm not kidding flowing through their taps. In addition, other towns in Illinois report that the water smells like, I can't believe I'm saying this, that their water smells like raw sewage. There's many small cities that are anticipating help from the American Rescue Plan proposed by President Biden. You know part of the infrastructure plan that the GOP is actively blocking, including my home senators, Roy Blunt and Josh Hawley. Now, that's part one of the report. The second part of the report is going to touch upon the issue of growing water privatization, not just here in the U.S., but worldwide. We're going to just touch upon the basics. Um, much, of the much of the environmental just injustice that is worldwide regarding water privatization surprisingly, no, not surprisingly, involves, again, multilateral trade agreements that stack the deck against humanity. Keep in mind. Water is a human right, but the corporate world seeks to treat, to treat it as another commodity with assistance from their armies of corporate attorneys who basically at the risk of sounding like I'm slut-shaming, these armies of corporate attorneys are whoring themselves for dollars. So this is really one of the epitomes of environmental injustice. So we're going to get into this, all right? So Again, as I said, this show is all about water, water, water. As I said before, water is a human right, like oxygen, you know, breathing. But unfortunately, the aging water systems in the U.S. have been criminally neglected for decades. And now the effects of unsafe water are clearly seen in our communities and in our innocent children. So, you know, you have to ask yourself, why is one of the wealthiest nations in the world facing crumbling and potentially toxic water systems that are frankly, you know, on the level of a third world nation. My opinion, the utterly reckless political climate that stupidly deregulated everything and that resulted in the lack of a sound tax base. If you want to maintain infrastructure, you have to have a financial tax base with which to actually finance that infrastructure. It's not rocket science. So this goes back to the piggishness of the Jeff Bezos and the Elon Musk of our day. So, you know, while we've been letting the 1% off the hook in terms of paying their fair share in taxes, our infrastructure, and yes, that includes water treatment systems, have been allowed to deteriorate at a criminal level. So you might wonder why the rich wouldn't worry about these systems like water because they don't. You know, it makes no sense for them to ignore this problem as you would assume it affects them as well, doesn't it? 
Well, truth be told, it doesn't necessarily affect them. They just move on to another newly built gated community with spanking brand new infrastructure, which includes water and water treatment systems, while the rest of us actual taxpayers frequently subsidize those new gated communities. I know in my home state of Missouri, when they build, and I'm sure this is throughout the country, when these developers claim we need some tax breaks to build this gated community further out, often what happens is they get these huge tax breaks, and then what happens is the older suburbs, the inner ring suburbs in the city, they wind up subsidizing and paying for it. The brand new utilities are further out. Okay, there's no justice here. So we often subsidize that while our kids get a big old slug of lead, PBCs, and other potential poisons and carcinogens every time they visit the decrepit water fountain in their school. So first I'm going to talk about some small towns which alerted noted environmental, I'll call her Shiro, Aaron Brockovich, and he did so out of desperation. Then I'm going to talk about roughly overall water quality in the USA. By no means is this a definitive uh, report on water quality. We're just touching on some basics. Finally, I'm going to talk about the role of several multilateral trade agreements that have, I'm just going to call it out, they've raped our communities. Public Citizen contributed some, the noted think tank Public Citizen contributed some possible solutions as well as an explanation of what's going on. And as it turns out, the manner in which our infrastructure was allowed to crumble is often mighty convenient for multinational corporate vultures. So we're going to get to it. So the first document I have is from the Brockovich Report. And this is a piece written by Aaron Brockovich and Suzanne Boothby, and I hope I'm saying it correctly. And I see this picture, and they have jars of water from Sulphur, Louisiana. And the water in these two jars is a dirty orange-brown. Seriously, there's no other way to put it. It's a dirty orange-brown. And the headline is, Reporting from Sulphur, Louisiana. Would you drink this water? Well, I wouldn't. And then the first line is, Sulphur, Louisiana, we have a problem. Well, yeah, Houston, we have a problem, of course. And they talk about how there was corruption, cover-ups, lies, and suppression. And this is what the people of Sulphur, Louisiana, have had to deal with, according to this report. You know, the, this article goes on to say, and I'm just going to quote it directly, let, quote, let me say it again for those in the back. Your zip code, your mayor, your city, your city council members, the local media should not determine if you have safe and clean water to drink. Water is necessary for life, end quote, and it is. So this was an SOS letter that Aaron Brockovich received from some people in uh, Sulphur, Louisiana, okay? Here's the, the letter that she received, quote, and I'm just going to read it exactly as they put it in the article. We really need some help in Sulphur, Louisiana. The mayor continues to give us the runaround. The water is orange, brown, and stinks. Let that sink in for a minute. The water in Sulphur, Louisiana is orange and brown, so it's an orange-brown, and it stinks. Doesn't exactly sound safe to drink to me. They flush a hydrant down from my house every morning. The street is now orange. 
We've been dealing with this since 2017, and it's getting worse. And that was from Terry Anderson, a 13-year sulfur resident. And these pictures say it all. So now I see another picture, and it's a bathtub, and they're filling it with water, and it's the same orange water. The city of Sulphur, Louisiana, has about 20,000 residents. And, you know, this article says they need to be giving interim water to every citizen who has to deal with orange water like that, that unsafe water. Um, but they're not. And Brockovich and Boothby are also saying, you know, don't serve this water to your customers and say it's safe to drink. And that's as documented by kplctv.com. And the, uh, this ran just a couple weeks ago, Sulphur Officials Award did filters for Dean Water Plant. So the system, the water system in Sulphur, Louisiana, has, quote, reported health-based violations with the EPA. And that's as documented by epa.gov. And the people that are sending photos to Brockovich are also reporting various strange rashes, hair loss, cancer, and other autoimmune health issues. And then they're also saying that their brand new appliances are falling apart because of the water. So again, this um, person that wrote the letter, Terry Anderson, goes on. And, um, you know, she was quoted and said that the water issues at her house began around 2017. And I'm just going to read the quote. Quote, it's been an ongoing battle. I'm waiting on test results now to see my lead and metal counts. The city budgeted three to four years ago with the previous mayor to fix this problem, and that money has now gone poof, and it was never fixed. The problem is that we have a mayor and city council members who don't care much about the water situation. But as you can see, this water is making people sick. We keep getting lied to and told they are making changes, but the only thing they do is flush a hydrant, end quote. So there's another person named by the name of Markel Andropont. And this Markel's been making some noise too about the water in Sulphur, Louisiana. And basically for about eight years. And Markel says the city officials are blaming the problems with this orange brown really stinky water on the wells. Quote, they say the wells are old and bad. They are pumping up a lot of iron and sediment. They've changed the filter medium to pump that dirty water through the filters, and the filters do absolutely no good. The 30-year engineer for the city admitted that even a bigger filter wouldn't do any good because the well is just pumping too much sediment and too much iron. <clears throat> the quote goes on to say, but instead of building a new well, they are scheduled to change the filter vessels for $7 million. What would help is to build a new well, which costs about 850000 if you pump clean water through a filter, the filter's job is easy. At the last council meeting, they hadn't even applied to put a new well. Instead, it's a long, drawn-out process that, uh, to get that done, end quote. So let us sink in for a second. In Sulphur, Louisiana, they were refusing to, to build a new well, but they say the problem's the well. To build, and again, they want to change the filter vessels on this old well to the tune of $7 million. But building a new well only costs $850,000. So why are they going for the more expensive fix? What are they trying to cover up, in other words? <clears throat> Not an accusation, but a question. 
<coughs> excuse me, <coughs> don't you love asthma? So, Martel is speaking to a presentation that the Sulphur City Council meeting gave April 12th, and it was by Byron Racka and Wayne Harris of a group called Meyer and Associates. <coughs> Excuse me. So there's some cliff notes from the meeting. So Mr. Harris from Meyer and Associates discussed the history of all the water wells and upcoming projects to, quote, help alleviate the discolored water, end quote. Okay. Now, the city has two water treatment plants. There's the North Water Plant that was built in 1980, and then there's the Verdeen Water Plant that was built in 93. The Verdeen one is causing the trouble, <coughs> but it's had, quote, significant changes in water well quality. And, quote, the iron content has doubled since the plant was first built. End quote. So it seems like maybe they built it in the wrong spot. I don't know. Now, at one time, there were four wells that served the site. Now there are only two. The treatment facility is using almost half a million gallons of water per day to what they, they call backwash the filters. And that helps produce 2.4 million. It goes out to customers. So they're wasting about, according to this article, they're wasting about 500,000 gallons every day. <coughs> Folks, I'm sorry about the coughing. This really is asthma. The part of the problem is the water is corrosive. Well, what causes corrosion? Things that aren't safe to drink that are in the water. So the council members passed a resolution. They authorized the city to accept it as a water filters for the Verdeen water plant. For the life of me, if I were a member of the council, and I, there were two plans, one, to change the water filters for $7 million, or two, to build an entirely new well that will turn out uh, basically clean water for 850000 I'm going to go with building the new well. So the question is, why are they going for the more expensive plan? What is it they're trying to cover up? It's a legitimate question. So there's more. Aaron Barakovich tweeted, hey, what's happening in Sulphur, Louisiana? This isn't okay. And you see this dark orange-brown water. It's disgusting. And then after... Barakovich, Barakovich tweeted, after she tweeted and posted photos, photos of the water in sulfur on Facebook and her, to her Facebook and Twitter accounts, she received a message from a woman named Erica Martin. I'm going to make this bigger so I can see it. Now, this is Erica Martin is the public information officer for the city of sulfur. My, isn't that convenient? Reason for contact. I'm just going to read it. Erin, like she even knows Erin Barakovich. Erin, I am contacting you due to your post about the Sulphur, Louisiana water. I am the public information officer for the city of Sulphur and would like the opportunity for us to show you what is being addressed. We are in the process of a large water plant restoration project, and I'd like for you to have that information so you can see both sides of this clearly. Please contact me at your convenience, and I will set up time for you to speak to Mayor Danahay personally so we can present our plan to you. Thank you. But <clears throat> so Brakovich goes on, I'm just going to read what she said, quote, you can tell me all day there's nothing wrong with the water, but as long as it looks like that, I'm not drinking it. All I did was put up a picture of the water. Now you want to convince me the water is fine? That's called gaslighting. And Brakovich, I'm just reading what she put, 
quote, I'll never forget when I was working Hinkley and officials there told me they were working on fixing those two-headed frogs in that green water. It's time for elected officials to stop gaslighting people and do your damn job. When I returned Ms. Martin's call the next day, it went to voicemail. I left several messages in City Hall and did not receive a call back. Okay, so that came right from Brockovich's, you know, feed. And it goes on to say we were not able to obtain more information about plans or specifications for any of the completed or proposed work from the city. So if they were so eager to get that information, why didn't they talk to Brockovich? If they're legitimate, if what they're doing is honest, then talking to Aaron Brockovich would actually make their job easier. Uh, oh, excuse me. <coughs> so in 2020, local news reported on the water issues in Sulphur and the city's dubious plan to fix them. Now, a year later, people are still complaining. Now, again, was from KPLC-TV. And there is a Facebook group for sulfur residents, and they post photos, they get organized. Um, thousands of people shared the sulfur Facebook post. They wrote comments and also said the water in their towns, not sulfur, but other towns, looks similar. Uh, oh, excuse me. Oh, folks, give me a second here. Sorry about that. There have been similar complaints from, again, this Facebook post um, brought everybody out. So there were similar complaints from Shreveport, Louisiana, Nespelum, Washington, Lawrence, Indiana, Welsh, Louisiana, McRae, Georgia, and Baltimore, Ohio. And here is another, um, this is another posting. Um, quote, I live in Shreveport, Louisiana. This is exactly what our water looks like when the water gets shut off and turned back on. Used to live there. Reported more times that I can count funky colored water. They excused it as a test. Moved north and my son's eczema cleared up. How about this? This has been the drinking water in Espelum, Washington. Our people have been complaining about this for some time with no results. Our water looked like this in Lawrence, Indiana. They told us it was rust. Louisiana period. Pointless water committee the governor created is a disgrace. Looks like our water in Welsh, Louisiana, just down the highway from Sulphur. It's been a problem for years. This is what our water looks, looks like regularly in McRae, Georgia. It will be clear one day and orange the next. It stains our shower curtains, toilets, etc., and we constantly have to buy bottled water. You need to check out the water in Baltimore, Ohio. Not much different. So now they're talking about, Brockovich has a section on the article saying, seeing those infrastructure blues. Okay. And we need a major overhaul. Our infrastructure has been basically financially starved because we're so eager to give tax breaks to the rich. And people that are making less money just can't afford to make up the difference. Now, President Biden did make his first trip after taking office on May 6th. He discussed the proposed $2 trillion infrastructure package. He visited Lake Charles, which is 20 minutes from Sulphur. And Brockovich asked the following, did, quote, did anyone get him a glass of water to drink from the Verdeen water plant? How about a tour? I'd like to see the president, the governor, and the mayor drink that water and tell me it's fine, end quote. Um, she goes on to say politicians need to get on the ground and talk to the people. They need to listen, end quote. <clears throat> she goes on to say Louisiana, Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards, 
um, did discuss his plans as documented by MSN.com for the more than $1 billion the state could receive from the American Rescue Plan uh, and how, you know, certain in certain communities in southwest Indiana, southwest Louisiana would be impacted. Louisiana, turns out, received a D on its infrastructure report card from the American Society of Civil Engineers. That's pretty damn bad. Louisiana is also the home to Cancer Alley, which is a stretch between Baton Rouge and New Orleans. And we've talked about this on the show before when we were talking about the Formosa plant. Okay? This is the same state that was one of the last places in the entire U.S. to actually enact environmental protection laws. It's home to Cancer Alley. There's more than 150 industrial facilities. There's, and again, I mentioned Cancer Alley. There was a clip that Brockovich mentioned from a 1984 documentary on toxic chemical contamination of groundwater communities with somebody named Peggy Franklin. So, again, after Aaron Brockovich made these casual statements and people on Facebook and Twitter responded, the mayor of Seltzer felt the need to attack her in the local press. And you'd think he'd welcome the help, but that's not the case. So on May 25th, which was just a few days ago, um, the headline in their local newspaper called American Press, quote, Sulphur Mayor Brockovich Trying to Change Narrative by Rita LeBlue. Now it says May 22nd, so okay. Uh, Sulphur Mayor's name is Mike Danahay, complained that, quote, outside interest from environmental groups have been brought into the situation we're trying to change the narrative, end quote. And he's talking about the plans to improve the Verdine water plant, which is the plant that's having problems that's caught, that, that the, water, the orange water is traced to it. So he referred to the Brockovich report and the social post, and the following is from a May 15th post, okay? Um, and this is what he was complaining about exactly. Quote, sulfur drinking water is not safe, not even close. This was in the Brockovich, you know, in, in the complaints, okay, not what the mayor wants. This is what the mayor is complaining about. Sulfur drinking water is not safe, not even close. It's not just the iron and manganese making the water unpalatable. Sulfur's water is very corrosive with a pH of 6. It is destroying the infrastructure, your plumbing, hot water heater, fixtures, and appliances, end quote. Okay. And he's still complaining about this post. The post goes on to say chlorine disinfection levels uh, are at a dangerous level of dosage. Iron is 1,533 over the maximum contaminant level. And then when that happens, it becomes trapped in the plumbing, and it becomes a food source for bacteria. Manganese is uh, 1,340 percent more than more toxic than what is permitted. So Dan Hayes complaining about these comments from Brockovich and people that brought their complaints to Erin Brockovich. She didn't stick her nose in. They came to her and begged for help, and she responded. So Dana Hayes says the city's plans won't be altered. Quote, to quote Mary Dana Hayes, we're on track to do what we're going to do, and that's what we're going to do to make sure the residents of Sulphur get the drinking water they deserve. I guess he thinks they deserve unsafe water. I don't know. Dana Say also went on to say that 
Um, there was a well that collapsed in 2019. The remaining wells have even higher iron content and filters, and they were 50 or 60 years old, not adequate. And he goes on to say, quote, the quick fix was to replace the filter media. Then we realized the vessels needed to be replaced. That got interrupted by the storm. Okay, fine. Uh, end quote. So a bid's been awarded to manufacture the vessels. They'll be delivered. Um, there'll be a total of eight of them be completed, supposedly by the end of the year. Danahay goes on to say, in essence, you'll have a whole new plant. Beyond that, we're planning a pretreatment system to filter out iron before it gets to the filters. Next month, we'll begin the process of drilling another well and expect to have that online by the end of the year. Then Danahay gave the crowd what he calls a heads up about a future FEMA personal property debris removal program. This sounds weird. Apparently, more, I guess from the storm, more than 400 properties are either going to be cleaned or taken down. In other words, torn up, torn down completely. But the owner won't have any expense. And to quote Danahay, that program is going to start very soon. And what they'll do is open an office. And what you'll do is come in and sign up, sign a waiver. That property is cleaned at no charge. Hopefully people take advantage of that, end quote. My question is, why do you need to sign a waiver if all they're going to do is clean it? And then after the program's complete, the article in, the, in this paper says that other properties might, might be identified for condemnation. I'd like to know why. Um, so once again, why, this, why the mayor of Sulphur is complaining about Aaron Brockovich when people came to her out of desperation because he wasn't being responsive, I guess he had to say something. So there's another article from a year ago where the same mayor, Mayor Danahay of Sulphur, tried to answer social media questions. Um, and, you know, once again, people were complaining about the orange water, saying that it was staining their clothes. And Danahay's response was that the city would, quote, provide residents with a detergent that will remove those stains. End quote. So my response is, okay, so we're letting you drink unsafe water, but come to your free detergent, but don't tell us about the unsafe water. Unbelievable. But this is, and <clears throat> the storm they're talking about is the aftermath of Hurricane Laura. So that's what, <coughs> that's what we're seeing, okay? So for somebody who thinks that they're really getting the job done, it's a lot of, you know, anger. Again, um, there is another, again, from Aaron Brockovich and Susan, Suzanne Boothby, another article, quote, and here's the headline, it's, it's a shit show out there. Ground control to water operators, you've got problems that could be criminal. And they show, again, two glasses of water in the illustration. One is clean and clear. The other is brown and dirty. And they go on to say, you know, you think of a water crisis, first thing you think of is Flint. But the fact is, there's hundreds of flints out there throughout the entire United States, and they don't get the media attention. And you know, while it's good that criminal charges have been filed against Governor Rick Snyder and some other officials, that still doesn't take care of all these other communities. And, you know, keep, keep in mind, the people that were in charge concealed and downplayed the risk associated with this contaminated water. So, you know, the water contamination that we're having from multiple, um, not just Flint, but multiple communities throughout the U.S., um, 
you know, is coming due because of several different things. Here's part of the problem. You have ongoing infrastructure issues. You have a lack of resources. You have misappropriated funds and mismanaged water treatment. And these all contribute to the toxic contamination throughout the country of our water. Okay? And, you know, too many Americans really don't understand where the water comes from. They think, oh, it comes from a lake or it comes from rivers. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it comes from underwater sources that are called aquifers. In fact, here in the Midwest, a lot of our water comes from this massive aquifer. So, but, you know, again, Brockovich talks about where our drinking water comes from. Um, to quote from her, quote, our drinking water comes from many natural water sources, such as lakes, rivers, and streams, which generally contain organic matter, leaves, dirt, fish, excrement, and so on. And that is why we add chlorine to water. It's a highly effective water treatment method we've used for more than 100 years and kills most potentially harmful organisms, such as bacteria, viruses, and parasites. Before chlorination, typhoid, cholera, dysentery, and diarrhea outbreaks were common in cities across the world. Treating the water helped reduce these health problems. Okay, that's fine. But in 1974, scientists discovered what's called DBPs in chlorinated water systems. And a DBP, that's an acronym for disinfection byproducts. So these are extra things that are there. And unfortunately, these DPPs, excuse me, DBPs have been known to cause health issues, including cancer. Uh, and they basically, they also include tri, I cannot pronounce, THMs. In other words, it contain chemical compounds um, that cause some problems. So what is, you know, what is the answer? Now, you can look up your own water system. Just enter your zip, go into the Environmental Working Group Tap Water Database, enter your zip code, and you can find out about your own water system. And then you can see what, whether you see chloroform. Uh, there's a lot of things that I cannot pronounce here, DB, HAAs, and these other things that are above health guidelines, those are DBPs. Those are, you know, as we said before, disinfection byproducts. And chlorine is used to disinfect, basically. So the, it's not that chlorine itself is necessarily bad. It's the amount of chlorine. Um, you have to have the right amount. Put in too much, you're going to have these other problems. Put in too little, it's not going to do the job. So the EPA knows this, okay? And the EPA does regulate DBPs, or disinfection byproducts, in drinking water. So why are so many communities suffering? Well, uh, Brockovich showed some published research from PNAS, PNAS, quote, in the, aftermath, in the aftermath of the Flint lead crisis, there is an urgent need to assess the current state of U.S. drinking water. However, no nationwide assessment has yet been conducted on trends in drinking water quality violations across several de decades. So there's also serious lead issues in our water. If you have older plumbing, chances are, um, for instance, in my former employer, St. Louis City Public Schools, so most buildings are very old, and it's the original plumbing, and it has lead. So every time these kids went to a water fountain, they were getting a slug of lead. And so Flint had multiple DVP violations. It was in the Consumer Confidence Report in 2014, you know, right after they changed their water source. There's more. The water smells like sewage in Illinois, okay? So she heard from this woman, Jennifer Campbell. She's a labor and delivery nurse, and a mom lives in a place called Sycamore, Illinois, and that's in DeKalb County. 
And um, Sycamore is more than 50 miles west of Chicago and about 30 miles southeast of Rockford. To quote Campbell, quote, this summer has been the worst, but we've had the, that, the odor for four years. Um, the odor is what started it all. It smells like sewage and petroleum mixed together, end quote. So in 2016, she and her neighbors started to complain to City Hall about it, um, and City Hall just told them to fix things at their home, empty the water heater, drain it, you know, get new appliances. Um, and she went on to say, quote, if I did laundry and dishes at the same time, the whole house would smell like our dogs had accidents in the house. It was permeating. It was so bad. So she called. She said city officials told her um, that there was a water age problem in the area, but the city's master plan was um, from 2019 also said that, uh, quote, water duration, the duration of water is in the distribution system before being delivered to the consumer is a strong indicator of overall water quality, end quote, according to the report. Um, the average water age throughout Sycamore's city system is three to six days. What that means is that the water sits in pipes and allows the bacteria to build up, hence the smell. Um, the report did call out the age of the system, said that more than 45% of the city distribution system is 50 years of age or older. Um, the report read, quote, the system has been identified as relatively fragile due to the age of the water, of the water main piping, okay? Um, Jennifer contacted some EPA-approved labs and had her water tested from her own home. And one test came back with a lead level of 64.5 ppbs. Now, keep in mind, no amount of lead is safe, but the EPA set an action level of 15 ppb in drinking water. Okay. The city's uh, water report also showed issues with DPBs, which is basically, again, um, disinfected byproducts. And get this, radium, which is a radioactive substance. So Jennifer Campbell spoke out at city meetings, called local EPA officials. She started a Facebook group, Citizens for Clean Water Sycamore. She has almost 1,000 members now. Members post photos of their watercolor, gray, orange, and brown. There are boil order notices and so on. Um, the kids are coming down with all sorts of mystery illnesses. Um, there's lead water service lines in Illinois, especially Chicago. To go on with this, Illinois, according to this, according to the NRDC, Illinois has, quote, most lead service, more service, excuse me, more, let me start again. Illinois, according to the NRDC, National Resource Defense Council, has the most lead service lines of any state in the country. Half of them are in Chicago. And we know there's no safe amount of lead. It's a neurotoxin. It causes irreversible brain damage and it's most toxic to developing brains, children. Um, Jennifer went on to say, quote, don't just take what your government says to you as truth. We believe that our government is there to protect us. We believe there are rules and guidelines in place to protect the people, but they really protect the governing bodies. You know, and I guess somebody needs to tell that to Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, okay, as well as the governor. Uh, it got so bad, Sycamore residents filed a class action lawsuit uh, last October in 2020 against their city. And they alleged that their city of Sycamore, Illinois, knowing, quote, knowingly failed to maintain its water supply and ignored problems with its corrosion control treatment, causing discolored drinking water that smells like sewage. 
cancer rates are high and local residents report other illnesses and issues, end quote. And of course, the city's denied wrongdoing, but it's also asked for money from the Illinois EPA for a proposed project, yet guess what? To replace lead water lines. Now, that's not an admission of guilt. I don't know what is. Back in 2017, Illinois Governor Bruce Rauner mandated lead testing in elementary schools. That's all Sycamore Community School Districts. Uh, they finished their lead testing, and every single school in Sycamore, Illinois, detected elevated levels of lead. And that same year, more than 80% of New York City public school buildings in all five boroughs, guess what, had elevated lead levels, according to the NRDC. High lead levels detected in Portland, Oregon classrooms as well. Newark, in Newark, New Jersey, there was a settlement reached with the city, uh, according to um, Radio.com, for dangerously high levels of lead in their water. Someone needs to talk to Governor Christie, do his damn job. And the city has agreed to replace 18,000 lead service lines. So, and if you look up EWG water reporting for Newark, you'll also see issues with uh, disinfected byproducts, DP, DPPs. Okay. So we can go on, but you get the idea, all right? This is something that is going to continue. Um, there were more thoughts on Flint. There was a statement from Congressman Dan Kildee, quote, what happened to the people of Flint is a terrible tragedy. Justice for Flint families comes in many forms, including holding state officials accountable what they did to Flint. While I never prejudge the outcome of any criminal charges that support the Flint water crisis investigation, following the facts wherever they may leave, no one is above the law. Okay. Um, unfortunately, during this tumultuous time, it doesn't seem that beating, killing, or poisoning of poor black or brown bodies is a crime in the eyes of the law, and these wealthy white politicians literally get away with murder. Okay. So it's true. Okay, um, there's more. Uh, the, the, the literally getting away with murder. Okay, I'm going to go back a little bit here, okay? This is another quote from Melissa Mays, who's a Flint water activist and mom. Unfortunately, during this tumultuous time, it doesn't seem that beating, killing, or poisoning of poor black or brown bodies is a crime in the eyes of the law, and these wealthy white politicians literally get away with murder. These officials made the mistake of underestimating Flint's strength and will to fight. We know how strong we are, so we in Flint need to hold on to some hope that we will once again make history by holding those in power accountable for their actions, just like you or I would be. Okay. So this is, you know, what we're dealing with. There was a research article I had, and it was uh, titled National Trends in Drinking Water Quality Violations from Mora Allaire. Hawaii Wu and Upmanu Lal, okay? Um, and it was edited by Susan Hansen, Clark University, Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, and it's basically saying that we know that drinking water contaminants are a major health menace. Um, sometimes the illness is immediate and sometimes it takes some time to show up. Um, and they're saying that state enforcement agencies don't have a systematic procedure to select systems for additional inspection and monitoring. Um, they go on in their abstract to say that really ensuring a safe water supply in the United States 
is a challenge that they're having difficulty meeting, and that's because of aging infrastructure, impaired source water and strain community finances, which begs the point. When you have these massive tax breaks for the well, for the, the affluent and the very rich, you tax starve your infrastructure. You can't maintain these systems without a sound tax base. And the middle class, which is truly the middle class, and the lower income people cannot make up the difference. They don't have it. And the people, the wealthy, are evading their public duty to everyone else. So this, this study goes on to say that, but you get the drift. And the paper does present as a national assessment of trends in drinking water quality violations, and it covers several decades. Um, but it goes on to say that basically they're not totally sure how bad it is. They know it's bad. They're not sure exactly how bad it is because, again, there, there isn't enough infrastructure, including to have the proper professionals to do the testing, okay? That's the whole thing. You, you know, you can't. Now, there, you can refer to the Safe Water Drinking Act, or the SDWA, and that was passed in 1974. And that's the act that authorizes the EPA to regulate drinking water quality. And they go on to explain that while the standards are set at the federal level, the states have the primary responsibility for enforcement. And states can actually go beyond those federal levels if they so desire. They can set stricter standards. But we're dealing with a major emergency here. And again, it's easy to blame the EPA. I'm not a big fan all the time either because, once again, they've been unable to do the job. Why is the EPA unable to do the job? One, they have lost quite a few professionals. Two, when you're talking about really dangerous problems that should go to the Superfund, the Superfund has been defunded because it used to be that corporate entities that caused the problem had to pay into the Superfund. That is no longer the case. Now when you're talking about Superfund, it comes from Average taxpayers like you and I, and we can't maintain it. That's the bottom line. You know, there used to be this old rule, you broke it, you bought it. But that's not the case with corporate. And again, when Congress reauthorized the Superfund law, they let corporate off the hook. Put bluntly. But that's another argument. So under their summary statistics, this study found that, quote, water quality concerns extend well beyond Flint, okay? And that the, some, of these, some of these unsafe water conditions affect nearly 21 million people, okay? So there's some major problems here that are not being dealt with. They are being ignored. All right, so we're going to skip ahead here. You can read the study yourself, actually, although there's a lot in here that you might not want to read. Um, and again, under the discussion, they're talking about targeting utilities that are underperforming, and that's one way to improve compliance. Identify hot spots and vulnerability factors, including like rural areas have worse outcomes than urban areas, believe it or not. Um, have better direct enforcement. And... Um, you know, this is this is what we're dealing with here, okay? Basically, Grover Norquist got his wish, at least in part, where the tax base has been drowned to the point 
that we don't have a sufficient tax base to take care of infrastructure. And that, that goes into the next part of this talk, which is privatization. Okay, so I'm skipping ahead here a little bit. Um, you know, I'm not one that believes in conspiracy theories, but behind every insane conspiracy theory, sometimes there's a little element of truth. And, and think about it here, okay? If you allow infrastructure and the tax base to deteriorate and you get desperate enough and a corporation comes in and offers to privatize and take care of all your problems, it's mighty convenient. So what are the solutions to this growing problem of water insecurity? Now, there are those who believe in fair play and they'd argue water is a human right. I'm with them. And they'd urge that corporations, big banks, and the rich pay their fair share in taxes, as I've said before, so we can have a fully functional infrastructure. But corporate honchos and there are hordes of corporate attorneys, no. Um, or their enablers, which would be the World Bank, the IMF, or International Monetary Fund, as well as their armies of corporate attorneys. Now, the corporate side would argue that water is a commodity and not a human right. Subsequently, they would and are pushing for complete privatization of water worldwide. This isn't happening by accident, folks. Seriously. Well, the people who work for corporate are well-educated and they're smart, and this is very premeditated. You could argue this is colonialism 2.0. So, again, I don't believe in conspiracy theories, but I do know when I'm being played. And I believe there's no small coincidence, as I said several times during the show, that the massive tax breaks for the rich and corporate have been mighty convenient as a contrivance for privatizers. I mean, think about it. Grover Norquist said it himself. Just tax-starved communities that happen to be resource-rich, especially here in the U.S., and swoop in like vultures when that infrastructure collapses without any funding to replenish public resources. So while perusing the Internet, I found that um, I found uh, a statement by Progressive Think Tank Public Citizen, and they made a good argument against privatization. Okay. So Public Citizen speaks out on why a human rights water, such as water should never be privatized. And they've got their, quote, top ten reasons to oppose water privatization. And, and think about how absurd this is. Water is a human right. No decent human being would tell somebody, no, you're just going to, you're going to, we're going to take your water away and you die too bad, so sad. Water like oxygen is a necessity for life. I mean, you can live without a car. You may not like it, but you can. And you can live without, say, the big house. But you can't live without water and you can't live without oxygen. And if these, I'm going to say something that if these bastards could tax us for oxygen, they would. So this top ten reasons to oppose water privatization starts out with a prediction by the World Bank. The World Bank has predicted, conveniently so, that by 2025, which is only a few short years away, get this, two-thirds of the world's population will run short of fresh drinking water. Now, if that isn't damning, I don't know what is. Two-thirds of the world's population will run short of fresh drinking water in a few short years. Okay? A public citizen goes on to say, you know, of course, Fortune magazine, it's no shock that 
Fortune magazine defined water recently as, quote, the oil of the 21st century, end quote. Except for one thing. You can live without some oil or just a min, you know, just get by on a minimal amount to maybe heat your home or something, or you can go solar. You can't live without water. So the people of Fortune magazine that wrote that water is the oil of the 21st century should be horsewhipped as far as I'm concerned, with no concern for humanity or the animal kingdom at all. So the natural response, you know, decent people, according to public citizen, would do the following. They would, one, concentrate energy and resources on protecting existing supplies. Makes sense. Two, they'd enhance conservation efforts. Duh. Three, they'd help vulnerable, po- vulnerable populations. Agreed. Four, they would improve pollution control initiatives. I agree with that, too. And, and four, and then five, they'd raise public awareness about this crisis that's coming um, that could really threaten the lives of hundreds of millions, maybe billions of people. All this makes sense. And maybe this crisis, um, you know, a decent person would also have the foresight to realize, according to public citizens, this crisis could result in what they call an environmental cataclysm that maybe this world couldn't recover from. But would that level of foresight happen in corporate boardrooms? No. Would it happen to with these government officials that have basically sold their soul to corporate? Oh, God, no, don't make me laugh. Instead, uh, more of them, more corporate boardrooms, more corporate executives, more government officials that are, again, whoring themselves to corporate, are, quote, proposing to transfer the control of this precious resource from the public sector to the private sector, end quote. And that's privatization. Now, you have to remember, think about the tender mercies that corporate has, you know, unleashed on us regarding heating, you know, petroleum products even to heat our homes with. A lot of people, you know, had their gas shut off because they couldn't afford the bill. You know, you hear every winter about people that die from the cold because the gas company cut off their heat. We have no reason to believe that privatization will result in anything better, especially when it comes to water. Okay? Um, we're not going to get responsible stewardship from corporate boardrooms. It's not going to happen. Um, and then, you know, this, we're talking about the survival of billions of people. And these are on decisions made behind closed doors in corporate boardrooms and government offices. Okay? And this is a global water crisis. It isn't just Flint and some other places. So they give 10 reasons why privatization of drinking water supplies could spell doom for many of the world's 6 billion plus people and includes a lot of people in this audience. Number one, privatization leads to rate increases. Okay? And they go in they talk about you know, basically, these companies are in for profit. And keep in mind, quote, the companies are under no obligation to provide water or service when water is defined as a marketable commodity rather than a human right, end quote. So, you know, it could be a drought. Your house could be burning down. Whatever. You can't pay the bill? No water for you. This isn't a joke. This isn't like the old Seinfeld with the soup Nazi, no soup for you. This is the water for you. That means you die. And that's what's happening in a lot of parts, in a lot of places in South and Central America 
where we're seeing migrants desperate because their water supplies have been basically polluted and compromised. Can happen here, folks. Um, and they give some examples. In Pekin, Illinois, rates increased over 204% in some 18 years that Illinois American, which is a subsidiary of American Water Works Co., ran the water system, and that was according to city manager Dick Kierstein. In 2000, the American Water Works CEO compensation exceeded $2 million, um, and they talk about, you know, different prices across the world. Um, there was privatization of the water in England and Wales in 1989, um, and the water companies there, they may have said they would invest in infrastructure, but they didn't. And their excuse was that profitability would be compromised. So the consumers in England and Wales saw their rates increase over 100%. And during that time, the percentage of people that had their water shut off rose by 200%. Uh, in the developing world, it's far worse. You know, here we can go to the grocery store and buy some bottled water. But in the developing world, basically, people are often forced to choose between food or water. And that results in epidemics of waterborne diseases. You know, we're talking dysentery, cholera, and so on and so forth. And yes, COVID, because you can't wash your hands. In Nelspruit, South Africa, water rates increased more than 400% between 95 and 2000, and that resulted in a cholera epidemic because people were forced to drink from the water, from the river. Um, and the people in South Africa demanded that the contract with the British company Bywater be canceled. Um, the case is still unresolved. Bywater is still in operation. Okay? Talk about colonialism. The British are still financially raping black South Africans, my opinion. Then you've got multilateral trade agreements that are creating legal precedents, but they're pseudo-legal and they have no legitimacy, okay? So when we're talking about these trade agreements, you know, it used to be a trade agreement dealt with tariffs or taxes, you know, import tax, export tax, things like that, and tax breaks that would make maybe foreign goods a little cheaper or more expensive. Now these trade agreements have very little, that's part of it, but they involve basically the, the self-proclaimed right by the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, these multinational corporations and their damn corporate lawyers to basically force nations, including the United States, to sign contracts where the right to self-determination, including things such as war systems, is nullified. And if they don't like it, if they feel like their profitability has been compromised, they call it an expropriation, they go to their tribunals, we talk about a stack deck and a kangaroo court. And these corporations, don't actually, they don't actually have to provide any true proof. They just say, look, we lost profit because these guys wanted, you know, a different, they, they wanted uh, control of their public systems. In fact, it got so bad that they can even say that, well, we didn't lose money yet. It wasn't an expropriation yet. But we think we might lose profit. So we want, you know, we want payment. It's basically a form of legal thievery. And then these cities have to pay up. And that's what's happening here. And organizations such as the World Bank, the World Trade Organization, the International Monetary Fund, uh, 
because of trade agreements like NAFTA and GATS, which is the General Agreement on Trade and Services, municipal governments are not, no longer able to protect their citizenry at all because they signed away our rights. And these arrangements screw the consumer and our right to self-govern. So these governments, when they sign in, sign on these corporate agreements, they guarantee the companies will make a certain margin of profitability because they don't want any risk. Well, since when does any business have a right to profitability being guaranteed? And if not, then the public has to pay the difference? Nonsense. Isn't that a form of graft? But that's what it is, all right? The second reason, privatization undermines water quality, because it does, the profit motive, okay? They're not going to deal with environmental standards if it, you know, because that's going to cost money. Um, the United States, there's the National Association of Water Companies. They represent the private water industry, and they lobby Congress constantly as well as the EPA. And what do they want to lobby for? They want to prevent higher water quality standards from being adopted. So these little communities are having problems. You know what? You need to blame. Maybe you need to look at the National Association of Water Companies. I don't know for sure, but I would look into it. Uh, the National Association of, of um, Excuse me, water companies request, constantly request that federal regulations be based on what they call sound cost-benefit analysis. Translation, public health is compromised for the sake of higher profits. There's some examples of public health endangerment for profit. Um, there was a small town of Walkerton in Ontario, Canada. Um, there was E. coli contamination in the drinking water. A&L Laboratories was the private company contracted to test the water. Now, seven people died and over 2,000 people became ill. This A&L Laboratories, they knew the water was contaminated, but under, I'm just reading straight from this now, quote, but under regulations intended to encourage privatization, the company was not required to alert government officials about a public health crisis in the making, end quote. We can't make this stuff up. Okay, so then um, the contamination problem was revealed several, several years later. Eventually, there was a drinking water surveillance program tested for E. coli. They were closed down. Um, and the rush to privatize blocked an initiative to require that water testing labs be fully accredited. You would think, why, why wouldn't they be fully accredited? Good Lord. What's next? So your doctor doesn't have to have an MD? So while privatizing water testing, so here's what happened. The private lab testing Walkerton's water at the time of this tragedy wasn't accredited. Now, while privatizing water testing in 1996, and I'm reading straight from this, the Canadian government ordered the Department of Environment to cut its budget by more than $200 million within two years. So all these employees were laid off. And the ministry's role in monitoring water safety was, pardon the pun, diluted. That's their language, not mine. Um, and a former government official, you know, admitted Ontario authorities knew these budget cuts would endanger public health and the environment, but the information was not made public. Number three, another third reason for not privatizing. Companies are accountable to shareholders, not consumers. Okay? A lot of these deals with water companies are made with government agencies, quote, include exclusive access to distribution for 25 or 30 years. Basically, when your municipality signs off on this, you're screwed. You're stuck with these companies 
for 30 years. You're basically letting them have monopoly and forget about accountability. Puerto Rico was victimized, okay? They were victims of a private water monopoly. In 95, um, their water authority, Praza, contracted with the largest water multinational in the world, Vivendi, who is through a subsidiary now called Compania de Agua. Uh, four years later, Puerto Rico controller's office, they issued this report, which was really damning, multiple failures, ranging from problems with the repair and upkeep of aqueducts and sewers. Um, they were late submitting required financial reports. Um, and there were accounts of citizens that didn't receive water, but they kept being charged for the water they didn't receive. Okay. So process deficit reached $241 million under this private management. And so the Government Development Bank had to intervene and provide the agency with emergency funding. Number four, privatization fosters corruption. Of course it does. There's no checks and balances. The only thing is to make money. Um, these contracts are worked out behind closed doors. Um, and just to give you an example, they, they noted that executives of the following companies, Vivendi, Suez, Leonez, Deo, and other water companies have been convicted for bribing government officials to obtain contracts. And bribery happens in this bidding process, according to this commonly, uh, the bidding process is closed to the public, even though it's our community's water. And even though the public is subject to the terms of these contracts, it's, it's, um, the water contracts themselves are not made available to the public, which is a violation of accepted contract law. If you're part of a contract, you have a right to see what's in it. Financial information rarely disclosed, even when a company's obliged to do so. New Orleans was robbed. Um, it goes on. Let's move on. Privatization reduces local control and public rights. Okay? Public control is transferred to the corporation. doesn't matter if it's a domestic corporation, foreign, or transnational. And it shouldn't be. These privatizers don't own the water or the land it rests in. They're contracted to run the distribution chain, and that does not legitimately give them the right to dictate. No government should have the right to sign over our water rights, period. But once they're signed over, there's very little we can do to ensure the private company does what they're supposed to do, um, you know, once again. Point number six, private financing costs more than government financing, which it does, okay? And the public pays through these projects, these You'll hear a lot in your community, well, if we privatize this, it's going to be cheaper because you'll get, it won't be through your taxes. No, it'll be through your bill, okay? But private, private financing is, is always going to be more expensive, all right? Um, and throughout the U.S., we're using, in a lot of communities, century-old pipes. We desperately need repair. It's not going to happen under privatization. Um, the Water Infrastructure Network, that's estimated that system improvements is going to cost us over $23 billion annually each year over the next 20 years. So multiply $23 billion by 20, you get about, in other words, $230 billion, okay? And $11 billion more than what's being spent, okay? Local governments are having trouble raising this money. 
um, without federal assistance, which has dwindled since the Reagan administration. Large utility companies are taking advantage by offering to buy their water and wastewater system and perform needed repairs, but they're saving costs. So privatization leads to job losses. Number seven, often there's many layoffs, okay? Um, in the Philippines, thousands of workers, half of the original wa workforce were laid off after the Metropolitan Waterworks and Sewage System was privatized, okay? Eight, this one's really damning. Privatization is difficult to reverse, okay? Once your municipality signs over to a private water company, I'm taking this straight from their, their document, quote, withdrawing from the agreement borders on the impossible. That's scary, but they have more, more attorneys. If the company fails to meet their requirements, their, what they contracted, they don't, they, don't, they don't provide the services that they said they would provide, guess what? Proving that they breached the contract is very difficult and very costly. So why is this? Because of multinational trade agreements, this is the pseudo-legal knife sticking in our backs. Whether it's GATT, NAFTA, the, again, the NAFTA, the, the closed tribunals, okay? And they really talk about this thing called expropriation. That means the corporation is claiming they've been robbed, but the alleged robbery requires no actual proof from corporate, okay? Once the service is privatized, the World Trade Organization's rules give special protection for private investors. And you get this, deals that are brokered by the World Bank often makes water privatization a condition for a loan, especially in, in, in poorer countries. And companies are gar usually guaranteed cash payments if a government agency returns its water system to public control. Now, if a small business did this, that would be considered criminal fraud, and they would go to jail. But again, it's in the treaty, so we have to put up with it, which I say, no, we don't. Uh, a good example is Chattanooga, Tennessee. They tried to buy back their water system from Tennessee American, which is a subsidiary of America Waterworks. And they did so because the company charged exorbitant fire hydrant rates. It was a highly publicized battle. Um, Tennessee American paid lawyers and public relations firms more than $5 million, but they couldn't keep up with the company's PR campaign. The city ended its buyback efforts in 2000. There was an out-of-court settlement. The company um, did agree to reduce their fire hydrant rates significantly, but only over a two-year period. So they reduced the fire hydrant rates from $301 to $50 a month, but only over a two-year period. So what happens after those two years? They didn't allow Chattanooga to reclaim their water system. Number nine, privatization can leave the poor with no access to clean water. That's true. And no matter what they say publicly, quote, the role of the International Monetary Fund and World Bank in water privatization schemes in the developing world actually results in a reduction of access to water for the poor. Structural adjustment programs by the World Bank and the IMF are pure thievery, okay? End quote. Structural adjustment programs, they're forced on governments who maybe are having trouble paying back these high interest loans. 
and they often include water privatization as a condition for any sort of relief or loan. And these are impoverished countries, so what can they do? And so basically IMF and World Bank can provide to the rich, to the corporations, quote, lucrative and virtually risk-free contracts. They did that in Bolivia. Um, Bolivia's public water system was privatized as a condition to get to obtain a World Bank loan. The private water company Aguas del Tenari doubled the water prices right away. Keep in mind, Bolivia is the poorest nation in that area, okay? Um, thousands of families, their water, their water bills was well, basically a fourth of their monthly budgets. Many families had to have their water turned off. Um, people protested and they were met by the government with violence from the police and the military. And who is Aguas del Tenari's parent corporation? Bechtel. You know, the same Bechtel that Dick Cheney used to be on the board of directors. Now, they did back out, but now they're threatening to sue Bolivia, which is, again, South America's poorest country. And they're going to sue for $40 million that they're calling losses under expropriation. Some people would just call it coercion. And here's the last one. Privatization would open the door to bulk water exports. So as the, we started with, the World Bank predicted that by 2025, two-thirds of people in the world will experience water shortages. Um, right now, we see there's lots of people that don't have access to clean water, and we see how that impacts even with COVID because they can't drink clean water, they can't wash their hands effectively, um, and this is a formula for disaster, and corporate doesn't care. This is a new form, new colonialism, okay? And it is price gouging. So basically, Fortune magazine, you know, is celebrating this as the water's the oil of the 21st century. And basically, these corporations are all trying to get as access to, uh, to clean water as they can. And then they're going to price gouge, you know, pay the price or die. Uh, and, you know, companies that work directly with municipalities right now can, quote, request permission to export water outside of their home region. Now, my question is, isn't this the same old colonial repression of a century ago, and why are these municipalities allowing this thievery? There's already an agreement between Cadiz Incorporated and the Metropolitan Water District of California. And the corporation wants to sell up to 30,000 acre feet of water a year to third parties. We don't know who these third parties are through publicly owned pipes. These are bulk water exports. Um, and again, we don't know if this is sustainable. Cadiz wants to extract water from California's Mojave Desert, but they don't know how much water is available in the aquifer. In fact, the U.S. Geological Survey called out the estimates that Cadiz offered and the Cadiz and the Water District offered as ludicrous and called it an exaggeration. I'd call it a lie. Okay? So that's what we're dealing with here. They're saying groundwater is currently being extracted at unsustainable rates. Okay? And what, they, what these geologists are saying is once these aquifers are emptied or polluted, they're almost impossible to restore. You know, what are we going to do then? And, and, you know, and it goes on. So right now, in conclusion, what we're with, witnessing right now, and we're talking about water, but 
Overall, we're talking about the systemic dismantling of our public infrastructure, including such basic human rights as the right to safe, potable, or drinkable water. And this story is at its core about our human rights. As privatization encroaches into public utilities such as water, our government officials have utterly failed to protect our communities and our democracy. Make no mistake about it, we're in the middle of colonialism 2.0, except that the rich corporations are serving as the de facto royals and de facto aristocrats, starving the rest of us. Right now it was Bolivia. But if you don't think that mainstream U- Main Street USA is next, you're a damn fool. Because of course we are. You know, there's an old thing. There before the grace of God go I. All right? What, you, what we fail to protect others, then we fail ourselves. We just do. Uh, we cannot allow this. And there's a, a very apt um, quote that I want to use right now. Give me a second, folks. Give me one second. Okay. Give me a second. Because this is something that we have to deal with. All right. All right. So this is a quote that I, I actually want to, and it's a, a quote from Mark, Martin Niemöller. Okay, um, this is coming from the Holocaust. He was a prominent Lutheran pastor in Germany. He was an, a, an, a, a critic and a foe of Adolf Hitler. And he spent the last seven years of Nazi rule in concentration camps. And you got to respect this because he could have just remained safe. And here's the quote, and it says it all. First they came for the socialist, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came from the trade unionist. Then they didn't speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and they did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. We cannot allow them to come for our water, to come for our communities, to come for our children that are being poisoned because of a lack of infrastructure, because of this corporate greed, and because of politicians that are either too corrupt and or too cowardly to do what's right and to maintain their oath of office. So I have a challenge to all of you to become a little more like Aaron Brockovich, a little more like Martin Niemöller. Be a pest. Drive these politicians crazy. Challenge them. And those of you that are attorneys, challenge your colleagues in the corporate world. Remind them that some of what they're doing is in clear violation and cause for disbarment. We cannot allow this monster, this monster of affluence, destroy all of us. We have a right to restore our communities. We have a right to have clean water and clean air and decent food for our children, good schools. We have a right to democracy, free from coercion and violence from either the military or the police. And we have a right to life, which goes far beyond some of these idiots that are so worried about a woman's private parts. 
These are our rights, but we, they won't stay, remain our rights unless we're willing to fight for them. And that's tonight's show. I hope you learned something for it. We're going to be doing more in the future. And with that, I say good night and God bless.